the Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and stay here, and I will give you the tablets of stone with the law and commandments I have written for the instruction. Then Moses set out with Joshua his aid, and Moses went up on the mountain of God. He said to the elders, Wait here for us until we come back to you. Aaron and Hur are with you, and anyone involved in a dispute can go to them. When Moses went up on the mountain, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. For six days the cloud covered the mountain, and on the seventh the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud. To the Israelites the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. Then Moses entered the cloud as he went on, to up, sorry, as he went on up the mountain, and he stayed on the mountain forty days and forty nights. Thanks be to God. Matthew 17, verses 1 to 9, the Transfiguration. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then, there appeared before them Moses and Elijah, talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one but Jesus. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the thoughts and the meditations of our hearts and minds be ever acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. For Jesus came and touched them and said, Get up and do not be afraid. One of my uh, favourite programmes on television is Room 101, um, where uh, they get various celebrities on who discuss the things that make them absolutely angry as anything, um, and, and then they supposedly try and debate which, which is the worst possible thing that can therefore be put into Room 101. I like to think I'm mild-mannered and calm, but it came all too easily for me to come up with my own list of things that, that caused me to be absolutely livid. Jedward, the Australian cricket team, traffic wardens, and particularly the person who came up with the idea of a fun-sized Mars bar being the small one, um, particularly drives me up the wall. As... The trouble is, Room 101 is not about the things that make us angry. In Orwell's 1984, instead it is, um, ironically, a room in the Ministry of Love 
because uh, apparently love is where you generate fear, um, according to uh, the classic Orwellian society. And room 101 is the place of the greatest fear that you possess. So for Winston Smith, the main protagonist, it is the fear of being devoured by rats, and with that he is prepared to betray his girlfriend. One of the victims of Room 101 says this, I've got a wife and three children. The biggest of them isn't six years old. You can take the whole lot of them and cut their throats in front of my eyes and I'll stand by and watch it. But not Room 101. That's the skull-faced man from 1984. Orwell, when he was writing in 1948, is reflecting upon the fear that totalitarian regimes use to instill compliance amongst the populace. We, as a society, we're full of fears, full of anxieties, and our media are incredibly good at making us fearful and scared, very good at manipulating our prejudices so that we're frightened of the other person, the other group, so that we end up just constantly living in this state of fear and anxiety. If it isn't coronavirus, then it's terrorism. And our hearts go out, of course, to the victims of the attack at the London Mosque and in the Frankfurt suburb of Hanau this week. Fears and prejudices are constantly ratcheted up so that we live in this state of mistrust. It's a very good way of selling newspapers. We live with too much fear. And as a church, where there should be hope and something that transcends that fear, well, let's be honest, there are times where we're not much better. Significant fear of change an uncertain future for the church with increasingly frail congregations and things not being like they were 50 or 100 years ago. The fears on all sides around the debates about human sexuality. Fear. So much of it. Jesus says, get up. Do not be afraid. Jesus takes his three best friends and they go up a mountain. There, what can only really be described as a religious experience happens. A vision where the voice of God is heard and Jesus is clearly identified. The potential, therefore, for people to understand God in a new way because we can now understand something of the nature of God through Jesus is offered on that mountainside. Jesus is in communication with the great liberator Moses and the great truth speaker Elijah. And in that religious experience, the disciples are overcome, filled with fear in the presence of God as they see Jesus transformed or uh, going through a process of metamorphosis his skin shining bright as they are confronted with the awesomeness of God. They collapse in fear. Back in early December, I was having a conversation with um, a man who lives some distance away. And he talked about um, a trip he'd made to, to Israel. 
and to Jerusalem where he'd uh, been in the church of the Holy Sepulchre and he himself had had a religious experience whilst he was there. Confronted, he, he said, by, by the awesomeness of God. And he said he was struggling a lot with other people in his church who would talk about Jesus and God as being their friend because of this experience he'd had. He had real problems with um, the hymn, O Jesus, I have promised, with that line, my master and my friend, because for him, God was something so powerful, there was no chance for a a friendly-like relationship there at all. God was to be feared. I don't think that's what Jesus was intending by this transfiguration. I don't think that is the intention of the story, that we we just approach God with fear. Get up and do not be afraid. That with Jesus Christ, there is the possibility for us to have a new type of relationship with God. Yes, of absolute respect and awe, but actually through Jesus that we can enter into relationship with God. That Jesus commands us with the Lord's Prayer itself to to refer to God as a parent, to be in that type of relationship of an honouring but gentle and loving relationship. That through Christ, a different type of approach is possible for us. As I said, the most commonly repeated phrase in the Bible, in both the Old and New Testament, is do not be afraid or have no fear. The the two are interchangeable. So in the Gospels, right from the infancy narratives where we hear the uh, the angels in constant consultation with Mary and Joseph and with the shepherds, do not be afraid for I bring you good news. All the way to the end of the Gospels, Matthew 28 So they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. All the way throughout the gospel narrative, do not be afraid is a constant repeating theme. The opposite of faith is not unbelief. The opposite of faith is fear. Because when we succumb to fear, we then succumb to to mistrust and we succumb to all of the other problems that there are. Jesus says, get up, do not be afraid. Jesus and the disciples, they have left Galilee and they have left their safe place. At the time of this part of the story of the transfiguration, They are on that road to Jerusalem. They are on that road towards the cross. They're on that road to the place where Jesus will be betrayed and executed. They are on that road that you and I are going to have to follow from the 40 days starting on Wednesday. That Lenten path towards the cross itself. Surrounding the disciples is the fear of the unknown. The awareness of the dangers that are very present for them. They know full well that Jesus' life is under threat and that possibly theirs are as well by following him all that way. They have every right to be scared. 
just as they have every right to be scared when they're confronted by the sheer awesomeness of God. But fear can lead to paralysis, to just not getting on with the things that need to be got on with. Fear of change. Fear of, am I good enough? Fear of, will that person like me? All these things can hold us back. Not being able to move on and do the things that God actually has called us to do. When our hearts are wintry, grieving or in pain, then your love can call us back to life again. The many fears and anxieties and griefs that we all experience the times when we find life difficult and really rather cruel, those times when we are hurting, bewildered or angry. Get up. Do not be afraid. One of the marks of discipleship is of courage, of knowing what the odds are and still going forward anyway. Now, often courage, we can confuse it and think that it is the grand gestures and the major acts. However, courage can be in the small choices that we make each day, in doing something despite being afraid or confused by it. Facing down a fear, jumping into something even if we are unsure of the outcome. So to be courageous is to be faithful. So how can we each be more courageous in our daily lives? Now, the one thing I will say here is don't beat yourselves up too much. Because quite often, actually, when we take stock of our situation, we often realise that we have a lot more courage than we actually give ourselves credit for. Those times where we are experiencing mental illness and actually we have done well just by keeping going. Jesus repeatedly tells his followers, do not be afraid. And it's easy, I guess, for me to just stand there and say to you, oh, don't be afraid. But maybe try and kid yourself. Kid yourself next time you are feeling afraid. Kid yourself next time you want to offer some prejudice about that person you've always been a bit prejudiced about. And try and find a way of overcoming that. Try and find a way of overcoming the fears of the unknown or of what might be lying ahead. This Lent, may we use this chance to seek out our own inner courage. Not to succumb to lies and prejudices and fear, but rather that we seek to model what it might be to be faithful and courageous in our lives. So, let us each think of those areas where we need more courage and more faith. Those times where we find that other person difficult to love, that other person who maybe we are afraid of. What can we do to bring healing? How can we be faithful in that process? Courage isn't having the strength to go on. It is going on when you don't have strength. Christ 
He's walking the road to the cross. He's asking each of us to follow him. He's asking us to follow him to that place of absolute, abject desolation and fear. And he goes there for us. But he asks us to walk that path with him. And there he will die to give us the courage and faith we need to confront those crosses that we experience in our daily lives and we see in our neighbours on a daily basis. Christ's courage, Christ's faithfulness shows us how to live. So my prayer for us this Lenten period is that we seek that faith and that courage from God's Holy Spirit so that we may live and love more courageously ourselves. And in doing so, we are faithful to him who goes before us and is willing to die upon a cross for each of us. May God give us that faith we need this day and forevermore. Amen.